Kyle Thompson and you're listening to General Intellect Unit and this episode we're going to be talking about accelerationism. Um, in this one we'll be kind of introducing the notion itself and taking a look at some material that gestures in the direction of a left-wing accelerationism which is maybe sort of promising. So yeah this this is like this stuff's a real mixed bag right like I think there's some really promising and interesting ideas in here there's a lot of stuff that's also just kind of peculiar to the 1990s, and some of it doesn't even really make sense, you know? <laughs> right. Um, yeah, it, it is uh, absolutely a mixed bag. Um, I think we've we've had a lot of sort of going back and forth on the topic, even just preparing for the show, um, but uh, definitely interesting. Uh, yeah, it's... It's... Uh, it, it's it's an interesting piece of intellectual history, if nothing else, uh, to sort of see where we were at in the 90s and then how the ideas that um, we were using to think about uh, technology and capitalism evolved over the last, uh, you know, almost 30 years now. Yeah, um, pretty much. Like, And so, like, to kind of nail it down a little bit more, um, we're going to be looking in this episode at three uh, articles or pieces. Um, one is going to be an article in, from The Guardian uh, of, I think it was May of last year, titled Accelerationism, How a Fringe Philosophy Predicted the Future We Live In. The second article is uh, by Mark Fisher. It's uh, Terminator versus Avatar, Notes on Accelerationism. And then the third piece is... Um, called Accelerate, a Manifesto for an Accelerationist Politics by Alex Williams and Nick Cernishek, uh, which I think is from 2013. And there's a sort of rough chronology here of like the kind of the, the well, we're going to go through it in terms of like the, the general ideas of accelerationism, where it came from, uh, where it went. Um, Fisher then introduces some pretty interesting critiques, and then we sort of get to a, a crescendo with the, the manifesto. Um, but yeah, it's like... Um, we should probably just like yeah get into it and like introduce the the sort of idea itself and this the, i think this is interesting because like it's a term that still comes up quite a bit but i've found that a lot of the a lot of the ways i see it be brought up are kind of like misreadings or are kind of not incomplete readings of the of the idea um and like fundamentally, and I'm kind of reading from the, the Guardian article here, that like accelerationists argue that technology, in particular computer technology and capitalism, uh, in particularly its most aggressive and global variety, should be massively sped up and intensified, either because it's the best thing for humanity or because there's simply no alternative, which is a ra rather bold statement. <laughs> right. And often, oftentimes, because, uh, oftentimes uh, both, right? <laughs> yeah, right. Like it's, yeah, it's, um, that is certainly a, a, a position one can take on this stuff. Um, but there, there's also a kind of a, a consistent theme as well of like, the notion that people could control the economy or technological process is uh, illusionary, right? Like that, that you're, if you think you can control this stuff, you're fooling yourself, which I think is definitely not something we're into. Like that's a, that seems to me as a rather silly position, but um, it's kind of a consistent theme in, um, in a lot of this sort of reading until, until you get to the proper left. Like, I think the thing is that like left acceleration departs from that position and instead says that no well you 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 can subject this stuff to human rationality and to like collective control and and also sort of make it go faster and faster um but that's actually kind of a minority position really in the um in the thing so like i, I guess i 
I kind of I definitely want to bring up these distinctions, right? Because it's actually part of the the contemporary discourse around accelerationism, so much as it even exists. But like people tend to break it down into like left, right, and unconditional. Where right-wing accelerationism is that we should accelerate capitalist development for its own sake, because, you know, capitalism, woohoo, awesome. Um, unconditional is this sort of, I think, rather silly sort of thing of like, well, we should accelerate anyway, because it's, it's like a supposedly apolitical position, which I think is ludicrous. Right. It's, it's <laughs> the... Oh, <laughs> yeah, it's that kind of like like stem centrist position. Like I'm just an engineer. I don't care about politics, uh, but technology is cool. Yeah, definitely. Um, there's a, there's a lot of that. Yeah, that kind of like that um, that apolitical sort or supposedly apolitical um, stance because. If you if you pretend to be apolitical, you're being political. Yeah, it's it's the uh, Werner von Braun uh, approach to accelerationism, yeah. right? Yeah, it's like exactly. I don't care who's launching the rocket as long as it goes up. As long right? as there's a rocket, yeah, and it goes up. Um, <laughs> but then, then like by contrast, like left acceleration would be that yeah, we can accelerate and subject the process to human direction and, and rational control, which we'll we'll get to at the end with the. Uh, accelerate manifesto there's also this kind of really daft sort of it's it's not even a position but it's a sort of interpretation i see around the internet of like oh look here's this awful thing that's happening in the contemporary world we should accelerate capitalist development so that it destroys itself it's like a posadist sort of um position you know and it's like like it just just pure and absolute nihilism which um yeah which again uh, like you know the accelerationism of the the CCRU was not that far away from right. <laughs> I suppose like, not. No. <laughs> it was pretty close to that. <laughs> but uh, the, the 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 sort of crucial point is that um, I feel like a lot of that uh, use of the term accelerationism is something that is said out of despair, um, whereas uh, original sort of. Um, accelerationism in the 90s was something that was often spoken of in terms of enthusiasm and excitement. Um, yeah, it, it, it was like an investment in acceleration as opposed to a resignation to it. Yeah, definitely. That's that's a that's a very key uh, distinction. Um, but yeah, so like I mean, in the in the in the sort of history of this this strain of thought, like um, one of its big themes is that it is it is a sort of vibrant and kind of exciting, um, you know, sort of uh, sort of way of thinking, or like it, it is very attractive, even even when it is also like very obviously quite dangerous. It also seems to draw people in. Um, yeah, it has a, a kind of. A you know, bad boy appeal. Like when I was reading some of this stuff and particularly the stuff with Nick Land and, and the CCRU, I just couldn't help but have the word edgelord echoing in my fucking mind <laughs> oh, constantly. Yeah, it, you know? <laughs> it, it is like, you know, I feel like the CCRU is like the, the ship that launched a million edgelords into the, <laughs> into the internetosphere. Yeah. Um, uh. <laughs> but like yeah and like sort of moving on a bit in the in the guardian article like yeah this this is like simultaneously quite dangerous like um it's like i mean the the, the italian futurists who, who turned out to be massively fascist sort of got like really into this sort of stuff as well and like um yeah there's a there's a clear precedent in futurism right like that that 
like, you know, surprise, surprise, Nick Land ended up becoming a huge fascist. Mm -hmm. Like, like, wow, what a <laughs> shocker. Um, right. So there's uh, a very dangerous current in this, right? Like that kind of... Um because it, it depends, like which which part of it you invest in, right? Like it's um, for like Land's thing is was kind of interesting in that, like yeah, he, he ends up going very far right wing, but it's I think it's really interesting when you get right wingers who are like unapologetic about the sort of thing. He's like, yeah, yeah, like capitalism does destroy human society, and that's great because I hate humans, <laughs> you know? Like, yeah, it's, it's right. unmasked which is, completely. <laughs> it, it really reminds me of like uh, Ernst Jünger. Um, uh, who was um, sort of a uh, he was a war hero a German war hero uh, from the First World War and uh, a kind of colleague of Heidegger's um, and you know whereas, whereas Heidegger was very much like oh modernity is terrible therefore we need Nazis to eliminate it um, you know in his, in his early sort of Nazi phase um, Junger, uh, because of his experience on the battlefields of the First World War, um, became convinced that, uh, like, you know, this shit was awesome, right? Like, you know, <laughs> yeah. the guy who went into the, the, the meat grinder of the First World War and, like, the, the, the massive industrialized, mechanized uh, um, violence and, and killing and, and destruction of that conflict... Um, and was just like, yeah, like more, <laughs> like the, the 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 extremely metal uh, interpretation of World War One, right? And like, actually, and even though he was like an intense conservative, at times ended up supporting the Soviet Union because he thought it was more dehumanizing and uh, and um, mechanically destructive than uh, the Nazis. Like he was just like, yeah, Ooh, like the boy. Nazis, like <laughs> they're just they're just not serious enough about this whole uh, dehumanization thing. God, that is um, a scalding hot take for that guy. Wow. Yeah, no, it was, like he refused <laughs> to fight for them or support them or anything because he's just, had, I don't know. And like they couldn't do anything about it because he was a war hero, right? Um, uh, so yeah, very, very strange man. Um, and uh and, and and definitely of a of a kind with um a, with accelerationism, I would say he's he's very much a, a precursor to that kind of mentality. Yeah, yeah, wow, <laughs> that's that's um yeah, that's that's a hell of a precursor. But like, yeah, that's that's definitely the theme here, right? Like in in at least some of these sort of strands, right? Like and um I, I think like we're we're about to get into more of the sort of like the actual sort of chronology. But like I think before that, like it's it's worth pointing out that like this is like. In, like accelerationism is weird because it was a thing for a while and then it sort of went away a little bit but like i think it's its legacy is still lingering on and in fact i would go so far as to say that like for pretty big chunks of the right wing and a lot of the center a kind of variant on this accelerationist ideology is just the default way of thinking it's it's the, the the word is rarely used but it's it's sort of there right and especially in silicon valley right like and the kind of the tech feudal kind of nightmare uh, that's kind of emerging. Like it's um, basically accelerationist by default, right? Right. Um, yeah, I feel like that's, that's probably the case. And also it is a little bit difficult to separate accelerationism from neoliberalism because in a lot of ways, um, you know, accelerationism in its sort of original form uh, feels like 
uh, neoliberalism for edgelords. Like, <laughs> yeah. it, it's a little bit higher brow. It's, it's a little bit, uh, you know, more sort of like theoretically informed. Um, and its rhetoric is very different from that of neoliberalism. But the actual content of what it's saying is oftentimes very, very similar. Um, so if you see, uh, you know, um, sort of accelerationist ideas being advocated by centrists or by uh, right-wingers, um, then, yeah, maybe it's a little bit of accelerationism, maybe it's a little bit of neoliberalism, maybe it's a little bit of both. They, they, It just feels like they are two sort of conceptual families that feed off of each other. Um, well, yeah, and, like, we're, we're, we're about to see pretty soon with the CCRU that, like, yeah, it's... Like a lot of the the the, the root and or the the place where this stuff really took off from is basically just sort of neolib kind of worship, um, and yeah, it just it just rolls from there. But um, to kind of nail it down in the beginning, though, I mean, like there's this sort of assertion that like yeah, like, like Karl Marx is essentially the first accelerationist in many ways. Like that, like you read the you read the manifesto and you read Capital, and it's like. Yeah, okay, like, the, the, the constant revolutionizing of production, the um, mutation of social conditions, and the kind of frenzied pace of capitalist development is just kind of inherently an accelerationist, right? Um, yeah, that idea that capitalism has a uh, liberatory side to it, which is so core to the Communist Manifesto, um, uh, is, uh, you know, very much the, the, the precursor to accelerationism. And, you know, like when, when for example, uh, Marx uh, spoke out in favor of child labor, right? That, that feels like it's a very much a accelerationist kind of position where he said like, yes, you know, it is perhaps not so great that uh, children are working in factories. However, it's going to give them an education into the sort of uh, structures and, and, and life of capitalist uh, modernity. And therefore, uh, it's, it's better than the alternative of them sort of wasting away on their own or whatever, uh, or being, you know, the wards of the Salvation Army or something like that. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, yeah, but, you know, like th those kinds of extreme positions, which I guess weren't as extreme at the time because, you know, the, the 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 discourse about childhood was very different at that time. Um, nevertheless, do sort of smack of of, of accelerationism. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Um, and with 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 Marx, we can kind of see one of the key distinctions between like different strains of sort of accelerationist thought. That like for Marx, there there is a eventual breaking point where quantitative change becomes qualitative. Right, that like you know, you you would develop, uh, you know, capitalism would develop the productive forces to a point at which revolution would take over, and then those same productive forces would be under social control. And that I think that's that's one of the big the key differentiators, right, as to whether it, does a given accelerationist thinker believe in that kind of tipping point where things change, or do they simply believe that it's a ever recursing deeper and deeper hole that you just like plummet into? Um, yeah, that that's sort of what defines the um, the '90s accelerationists is that they rejected the notion of communism. They went from they they took that sort of um, creative destruction aspect of uh, of of capitalism 
that uh, you know Marx sort of celebrated in the manifesto, uh, and then said, no, uh, there is no sort of shift over to communism. Uh, it's just going to be this and this forever and ever more and deeper and deeper. And in fact, that, again, not an uncommon intellectual position, right? Like Thomas Friedman, you know, that great uh, intellectual titan uh, <laughs> also took the same position in yeah. the 90s, right? <laughs> like, this is very common neoliberal stuff, right? Uh, but but they, they couch it in this sort of... Um, cyberpunk gothic uh rhetoric of 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 you know like basically we're all becoming the terminator or something right like th that kind of uh talk is everywhere yeah. in, in in accelerationism yeah and like they, they were that, that sort of 90s crowd where we're drawing on um they were drawing from from and amplifying and then like distorting wildly the thought of a couple of thinkers from France in the sort of late 60s and the, the early 70s. If, um, the, the ones that are mentioned in the Guardian article are specifically are uh, Deleuze and Guattari uh, with their, their book Anti-Oedipus. And um, is it Jean-Francois Lyotard who wrote Libidinal Economy, um, which I'm led to believe is a remarkably bitter book. Like <laughs> It is just like a very hard read because it's just so scathingly horrible <laughs> and, uh, and such. But like... Um, Crucially, like Deleuze and Guattari kind of like outline this, this sort of notions of like this, these words that will come up again and again, like deterritorialization and re-territorialization, which bear some explaining. And like, I'm, I'm in this position of like, I've, I've spent the last couple of months trying to read Anti-Oedipus and bounced off it and instead read a Four Dummies guide to Anti-Oedipus. So I think I might have some of the ideas down. But the, the basic notion is that like in, in a system of like productive connections, uh, and investments. Deterritorialization is the process of kind of ripping apart those connections and like, you know, un unleashing or dissolving the kind of um, uh, productive force and the, the sort of objects involved. Um, and then re-territorialization is the process of reconnecting things in a new sort of form. So you, you could think of like lumber mills closing down as deterritorialization and it, it frees up uh, objects of investment it frees up productive power but then being replaced by steel mills and the 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 um, laid-off workers go to work in the steel mill and the productive force is redirected onto a different object as re-territorialization um, the, the territorial bit of this is a bit of a weird one because it's, it's not actually related to anything you would call a territory or a sort of map. It's a more, it's a much more abstract kind of notion. Although it can be, right? I mean, it, it, it could be, for example, the Holy Roman Empire being reorganized into a new state system that was more amenable to capitalist production, right? But it's not like that is the origin of the term, but not definitely not the only thing it's referring to. So I, um, I, I think the, the origin is is actually in, in Lacan um, with the the development of the infant mind. I think I think if, I, if I'm remembering this correctly, where basically for for Lacan, territorialization as the as the originator is the process where kind of the satisfaction of desires like um, maps the body into kind of erogenous zones, and like the idea is that specific organs and objects are are invested with psychic energy. And you can you can then draw the parallels with like territory, as in like you know physical territory, and where specific sites and locations are invested with psychic energy or capital, as as it were, you know. <laughs> um, 
So, but th- th- this is a very multi-layered metaphor that Deleuze and Guattari kind of talk about. Um, it's it's so multi-layered that it's actually kind of baffling, and I'm like having a really hard time reading it. <laughs> but yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> the the sort of contribution that they bring is to take that uh, notion of uh, all all that is solid melts into air that you find in in the the manifesto, and sort of um, psychologize it. Um, and also not like, okay, that's an, that's an incorrect, uh, <laughs> that's an incorrect assertion. I'm sorry. Uh, it, 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 it is, uh, to, to sort of take, <laughs> take that notion, import it into psychology and then use that to explode all disciplinary or, uh, organized boundaries of thinking, right? That, that there, there is no real distinction between the psyche, the political economy, the geography, the, um, like any realm of thought, uh, society, nations, anything, it can all be thought of universally in terms of this notion of uh, deterritorialization and re-territorialization. So, I mean, the, the, the point is, though, like, is that although Deleuze and Guattari themselves uh, were attempting to explode all sorts of boundaries and, and get at this completely... Um, non-organized rhizomatic uh, world, uh, what they described as sort of a characteristic of capital is that it would reorganize um, the world after after uh, after breaking it apart, right? So all that is solid melts into air, but then the air recondenses into something new, right? Like, so, you know, getting at that classic French 60s problem of why did the 68 revolution fail so miserably, right? Like, why weren't we able to go beyond capitalism? Why did capitalism reassert itself? And uh, for Land uh, and his colleagues, the point was that, oh no, like, you know, there is, like, the re-territorialization you see is just, like, transient. It's just, like, a a small step on the way towards an ever more deterritorialized capitalism that will bring a kind of liberation to us that we cannot even recognize as desirable now, but is just sort of like inevitable and uh, exciting because it is so radical and destructive. Yeah, yeah, oh yeah, that's um, that was absolutely his thing. And like, so, but by by land we mean um, this guy Nick Land, who was um, a lecturer yes. at Warwick University through in in the nineties. Uh, and this is where, like, the, the, um, so the, the, the works of um, Deleuze and Guattari and Lyotard and these kind of guys kind of, kind of languished for a while in the, the Anglophone world. But um, Land mm-hmm. got really into or it. They just simply weren't translated, right? Yeah, that's, that's, yeah, that's actually in the, um, in, the, in the article. That was it. Hamilton Grant was the first to translate libidinal economy or something. But uh, was he at Warwick as well? Anyway, yeah, so, but the, the point is, like, Warwick University became this kind of nexus for this sort of thought to kind of flourish, and um, it basically sort of begins with land, really. He sort of really takes this stuff up and um, and just absolutely runs with it as fast as he can. Um, and yeah, it's, um, he produces a lot of, a lot of work, and like, his, 
His sort of thing is that, like, he saw civilization, like, just accelerating into Armageddon. Like, that kind of, like, ever-increasing disorder, ever-increasing atomization, ever-increasing digitization, and just, like, fast, 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 fast crash. Um, or, you know, may maybe not a crash at the end, but just, like, ever, just this blinding velocity that would come after the turn of the millennium. And, like, this has to be, we have to nail this down, right? This is the 1990s, right? Like, we're talking... The end, like the after the end of the Soviet Union, the rise of well, the kind of total entrenchment of neoliberalism. Like there, there is no alternative. Uh, the internet is taking off. Digital technology is is exploding everywhere. Everything seems to be going nuts. Um, and it's kind of easy to see how these kinds of thinkers got swept up in that, right? Yeah. Oh yeah. Um, it, it is easy to see how like all that sort of enthusiasm could fuel their own enthusiasm right that the, the, and it's it, it's extremely 90s in the sense that it, it it combines that kind of um very sort of like commonplace thinking with um this kind of obsession with like edginess or darkness right <laughs> yeah, that like Jesus. you know it's very very typical of sort of like the the pop culture of the time the music of the time the fashion of the time that like like actually nothing very radical is being said in terms of uh it's it's intellectual content uh but um it's presented in the form of a kind of uh outsiderism or 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 uh, uh radicalism um yeah. yeah, it's it's way edgy. And like so like Land kind of founds this um sort of pseudo department within Warwick. I don't think it ever really had a um... It was sort of like a student faculty like collaborative research group. Yeah. But so there's 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 students and then there's these other um sort of people around like uh, Sadie Plant and Mark Fisher and a few others. Uh we'll be reading a bit of Mark Fisher in a bit, but um the they they found the cybernetic culture research unit. Yeah, and just worth pointing out here that, like, yes, there is a lineage from cybernetics down to this stuff, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Well, um, like, the, the, yeah. it, like, Deleuze and Guattari's, like, whole schema for the universe is cybernetic. It's made up of desiring machines and uh, desiring systems that are linked to each other and this sort of thing. Like, it's, it's yeah, this is, um, cybernetics bleeds through this, certainly. Um, but, yeah, like, a, but, like, a lot of the output of the CCRU was kind of this, um, I don't know, kind of kind of shitty like cyber goth sort of theory fiction you know in, in quotes or whatever and it's, it's 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 in many ways an entertaining read but also when you when you kind of strip away some of the like oh my god the the wolf vectors are loose in the digital crypts and oh, cyber rah! you know when you strip that away it's kind of fairly banal kind of neolib worship of like yes there is truly no alternative to to capitalism we must continue and accelerate its, its processes you know um so on the one hand, like, qu quite imaginative work, but also, in many ways, like, kind of a dearth of imagination as well, you know? Yeah, that's right. Um, yeah, very, very taken with its own creativity. Um, people were, were, were in fact, uh, you know, very intensely uh, uh, creative. They, the CCRU basically developed into a kind of cult. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and, uh, you know, land was sort of the high profit um, but it, as a group, um, published under like a collective identity, uh, rather than having individual, uh, authors. Um, so it was, 
even though it was intensely anti-communitarian, it was also very collectivist, right? Like, you know, they were the Borg, right? Uh, <laughs> yeah, but it's, it's very reminiscent of what we saw in um, All Watched Over Episode 1 with um, the collective gathering around Ayn Rand, right? Um, yeah, it just not individualistic at all. Like, that wasn't part of their rhetoric. They just, they, they weren't interested in individualism. A lot of the internet libertarianism that you see in the 90s um, echoes some of the things they're saying, although it tends to be much more optimistic. Um, but, uh, they absolutely do not have the homesteading on the digital frontier or, uh, the sort of individual genius, uh, the, the, you know, that, that classic quote we got in all watched over of the guy saying like, you know, like I was the protagonist of a <laughs> Ayn Rand novel. Yeah. Like that is absolutely not what is going on here. Um, yeah, the same sort of enthusiasm for capitalism, but like, this is this is the Borg versus you know Ayn Rand. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but like that, that does get a mention in the in the Guardian article where like it's it seemed that there were for that nine for that sort of late nineties kind of um, time frame there were there were kind of two visions of um, of the future. The mainstream one being the Californian ideology that we've uh, we we know and love, but the other one being the Warwick ideology. You know this this much darker. Um, much darker one. And I think there's there's a quote here from Sadie This is Plant. much more like where the Matrix came from, right? Yeah, yeah. That's a that's a good touch point actually. Yeah, that's really this is this 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 reeks of the Matrix. Um but there's there's a really good quote here from I think I think it's from Sadie Plant that like we wanted a more open, convoluted, complicated world, not a shiny new order. That this was del- this was messy, chaotic, dark sort of um techno future stuff as opposed to the yeah the, as opposed to the homesteading on the digital frontier right that was um yeah and like they were writing frantically they were all hopped up on meth um uh, you know, it's what eventually drove Lang nuts, <laughs> wasn't just, you know. Yeah, they, they were, they were, they were, uh, you know, going out clubbing all the time. Yeah, um, there's some absolutely crazy accounts here of like, um, like the, the university would stay open pretty late, right, and they'd be working all day and like collaborating and all this sort of stuff, would, and then they would retire, would shower, to, <laughs> yeah, like they would be washing themselves in their in their in their offices, right, like, and then they would go to the student union bar and just party it up there and like constantly talk about 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 theory and then after that was done they'd retire to their homes and stay up all night listening to jungle music and working on 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 on, on writing and then do it all again the next morning Ooh, yikes <laughs> right and 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 another thing that's like uh really characteristic of what they were doing was that they were um really engaged in like yeah that jungle scene uh is sort of outside of the academy like they were they were very much like hated within the university itself uh and and also uh were always looking for ways to sort of reach out of the university right um and and so uh uh you know some of them went on to be like start like electronic music labels and stuff like it's it's uh it was is very much like the cybernetics we were talking about uh, in the cybernetic brain is a thing that was not at home in the academy at all. Yeah, definitely. Like these, this is this is real outsider sort of stuff. Um, yeah, and it's it's just like God. I, I 
imagine imagine living that life like wow <laughs> i don't think i would oh yeah Fire too delicate um, for that kind of thing <laughs> it's uh, yeah I, I just remember like when i was in um when i was in europe in uh the early 2000s um uh there was this one uh a girl who's working at uh, a hostel i was staying at um in italy i think it was in rome um she was a british and uh yeah, it was just not really all there anymore, you know, like, just, like, probably live that life. <laughs> just, yeah. just was just like, yeah, wow, okay. Been out partying many, many nights. Um, yeah. So, like, I mean, Land eventually sort of lost his mind and kind of, like, resigned from the uni and this sort of stuff. And he, I think he now lives in China somewhere. Like, he's, he's sort of retired out there. And he, like, he writes, like, travel brochures or something, something kind of nuts. Land now sort of, like, disavows basically anything before that psychotic break, right? Like, he doesn't, he doesn't consider that to be the same person at all. Um, and yet there's an obvious through line if you read this, if you read the the actual work it's actually quite clear that there is a through line in uh, through it yeah there's a lot of continuity um it's just that like he he like many uh neoliberals um he moved from worshipping capitalism to worshipping uh chinese state socialism because it was more accelerated right like oh like, you know, oh, it looks like our, our capitalism is in a little bit of trouble here in the 2000s. Uh, you know, the crisis and everything, we can't really do X, Y, and Z. Uh, but you know, look at the Chinese, like, look at the amazing things they're doing. Uh, the state is great, right? Like, because, you know, before they were incredibly anti-statist. Um, and then, boom, the state is, is more accelerated than, uh, like, state capitalism is more accelerated than... Uh, than, than free market capitalism. Okay, let's get on the state capitalism bandwagon, right? Uh, just like the neoliberals, um, and uh, and then went on to become this this sort of dark enlightenment thinker, neo feudal thinker, uh, which you know also uh, follows a lot of sort of Silicon Valley people. Mm, um, yeah, it's. Um yeah, it, it, I think we maybe at some point in the future might want to look a bit further into that sort of stuff. Um, I think we do have an article queued up about that. Do we not? Um, might might want to put that one on the a bit further up the queue. But um, yeah, like I mean, Land got you know he's sort of he's the originator of this dark enlightenment stuff. This kind of well, I mean, wouldn't be the originator of this kind of neo feudal notion entirely, but like is definitely one of the people to put put pen to paper and um, and to inspire a lot of a lot of people to get on board. Um, so it's still still somebody that's sort of relevant, right? Like he's kind of um Yeah, it's like it's he's he's the kind of person who doesn't he's not great at actually thinking beyond the confines of the world we are living in. He's he's not great at thinking beyond the moment, but he's really good at um having uh, like getting the pulse of the moment, right? Like, it feels like the CCRU stuff is, like, very expressive of the 90s moment. And it feels like the Dark Enlightenment stuff is very expressive of our current moment. Like, the current tendency is towards, uh, you know, um, neo-feudal uh, capitalist hell world, right? And he's just like, oh, yeah, like, okay, 
Like he's he's at the leading edge of that. Um, yeah, <laughs> worryingly so. <laughs> like, yeah, <laughs> but I mean, it's also heartening that his predictions have always been wrong, right? Like, like <laughs> he's great at telling what's going on and like what sort of the the the, the zeitgeist is, but uh, he's he doesn't really have a, a whole lot of value as a predictive thinker, which is at least at least I take some solace in that. Yeah, I mean, it's it's good when your sort of enemies aren't particularly sort of bright and that kind of. Regard. But like, there's, there's a sort of there's a dreadful irony in this though that like, like I, I tried to read one of his his like collected uh, fucking works. Uh, I think it's called Fanged Numina thing. But like one of the things that stuck with me was that apparently one of the consistent themes of Land's work is a desperate desire to kind of make contact with the outside, like to find a way out of the current moment and to contact the beyond. But there's there's a kind of a bizarre irony in his inability to do it. <laughs> well, but he, I mean, he was obsessed with Lovecraft, right? Yeah, exactly. He was he's um he's all into the Cthulhu tentacles and stuff. Um, but I think it's it's just kind of it's weird that he's like like yeah he, he's he's the, he's the, the thinker that wants so badly to get outside of the current moment and is also consistently unable to do so. As um. Yeah, it's that's right. He, <laughs> it, it, it is a, a a wonderful irony. He is a he is a character larger than life. What a guy! Um, um, can you imagine like a, a parallel timeline in which like he didn't drive himself insane with drugs and in, now just like writes for the Times or something? <laughs> He's just like another fading academic. <laughs> <laughs> Was ever in the cards, <laughs> right? Right. It's just, it was uh, his, his destiny was was mapped out from the beginning. <laughs> uh, what a man! But um, yeah, well, like with our, I suppose, I suppose that's pretty much all we need to talk about for the the Guardian article. Um, and we're we're missing a lot of detail. Actually, they do go into the history of the CCRU, which is which is worth reading. Um, and this will all be in the show notes anyway. But if we move on to the second article, um, from Mark Fisher, who you know was a contemporary of Land and um and worked with them at the CCRU and at, and at Warwick Uni. He's got this article, Terminator versus Avatar, Notes on Accelerationism, uh, which is quite interesting in that, like, the most interesting part of it is that it introduces a critique of, of Land's whole way of thinking. But it begins in this really interesting way where he, he, he touches back to uh, Leotard's uh, libidinal economy. And the kind of, like, the thing here is that, like, Leotard sort of makes the assertion that, like, the English unemployed, you know, like, actually, or, you know, the, the, and, and the workers actually kind of enjoyed um, being subjected to the, the brutality of capital, right? Like, and the, 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 the demolition of their organic bodies and the anonymity of the, like, um, you know, new council estates and such, and then, like, and the, 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 the drinking themselves half to death and such, and that, like, no one would go back to the pre-capitalist relations, like, given given any kind of choice, right? Yeah, it's uh, very much more the um, preserve of middle-class intellectuals to engage in that kind of nostalgia. Uh, yeah, definitely. And, like, but even, like, I think Fisher points out here that, like, even that nostalgia is within the bounds of capitalism, right? Like, and he, he, he gestures towards the film Avatar, in which um, you have that, like, the, 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 the blue-skinned sort of primitivist, uh, you know, nice stuff, right? But, like, this, this protagonist wants to live like them and to, to, you know, to commune with them and this sort of thing, but the on literally the only way he can do it is through advanced technology. 
that like teleports him into the other body meaning that like his 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 nostalgia and his desire for this pre-capitalist authenticity is still captured entirely within the horizon of capital that it it, it isn't a way out in fact you know um yeah and, and you know that's avatar being very self-referential mm-hmm. right yeah because the only way you can look at it is you, you can only classes. experience the work through your 3d glasses in the movie theater is like you know this is the the most cutting edge at the time uh cinematic experience right I, um, I I worked in cinemas while when that came out. Um, I was a, I was a projectionist for those those weird couple of years, and um, that was actually kind of fun. Like that was that was a like the fir- the first time seeing it, I was like, wow, that's actually kind of cool. Um, but the the gimmick wore off when I had to staff the fucking place for the following week, right? Where where everyone was uh, in to see it. Um, well, that, that is very telling, though, right? Like, it's like you uh, have this, you know, mediated experience of of, of, of high technology nostalgia for the, the, the noble savage and their life, right? Uh, but then uh, it quickly becomes tiresome, um, <laughs> and you're on to the next search for the next commodity. Yeah, um, just go and play Quake instead. Goes... <laughs> Just, just like I don't know uh, that that movie always felt like so. It just felt so wide of the mark. Uh huh. Yeah. It, it was never a good movie, right? Like it was um, as a visceral experience for a one-off. It was fun, but like it wasn't. Yeah. It wasn't no. A movie. Like the 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 Nito technology was Nito, but um, the message and and just the mode of presentation and everything it felt so wrong. Like it, you know, if you want to look at. Um, Directors who are successful in uh, in in conjuring up that nostalgia, like you know, you go look at like Miyazaki, right? Like this is 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 way like a much more sophisticated and intelligent reactionary. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so, uh, that, that is an excellent way of referring to. <laughs> Wow, that is good. Um, I've just had a brainwave, actually. Like, speaking of deterritorialization and re-territorialization, like, um, like I, I was a cinema projectionist, and we we did all the thirty-five mil, like, or like uh, analog film stuff, and that was that was cool. But um, in preparation for Avatar, we started uh, chucking those machines out and re-kitting the place with the digital three D enabled stuff. And that only lasted a couple of months before we were all sacked because we were no longer uh, no longer necessary. Um, <laughs> oh, it's so good. I, yeah, I think I, I love Avatar <laughs> as like a historical cultural artifact much more than I love it as a film. <laughs> because that kind of story is just so amazing that like yeah it's like yeah like i'm gonna make this movie it's just gonna be like this like you know spirited critique of uh the 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 soulless uh destruction of our of our lives by 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 capitalism and technology and then like you go and see what the actual effects are on people in the world and you get these stories like <laughs> Avatar was the leading edge of me being thrown out of work by a machine. Uh-huh. Um, this is like, wow. Incredible. Yeah. Incredible. It's, um, and, and you know what? Like I'm going to play into Fisher's point here. I wouldn't go back <laughs> because right. So he's got three claims here, right? Like um, the, the first claim being that everyone is innately an accelerationist. The second claim being that acceleration, accelerationism has never properly happened, 
And the third being that Marxism is itself accelerationist, which we've, I think we've already really established. But the dwelling on the first one, that like, I think he's, he's kind of right that like, if, if you don't, if you don't want to go back, like authentically, right? Like, and standing still has no appeal to you either. Well, what, what's the last choice, right? Like forward is the only way, right? Um, well, I, I feel like there, I, I would say th maybe the alternate position is the one of saying, uh, saying stop. Right, right, right. sure. Uh, I, I feel like there absolutely is um, that like alternate impulse which can be it can it can be manifested as nostalgia but it can also just be like terror right? yeah just like, like reaction yeah. like the the shipwrecked mind <laughs> you know just wailing yeah, stop yeah. halt no further um so i i don't know if every i don't know if everyone's an accelerationist i like i i think i've de like no i've definitely met people in my life who for the most part are not accelerationists. They can sometimes be like sort of persuaded into that mode of thinking by, you know, the need for a job or some gee whiz new invention that like kind of surprises them. But like, I've definitely met people like, like hippies who live out in the, in the, in the countryside and like, are just like, they, they just kind of hate everything modern, even though they're forced to participate in it. Um, and, and generally are like, Nah, like we don't we don't want uh any like anything new is just too much um yeah 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 so so i i, I do think that those people exist but i mean you know mark fisher definitely a fan of hyperbole yeah um <laughs> and uh he's not entirely wrong right no like, that's the thing like i think if you squinted <laughs> if you squinted it he's more or less got it on the nose um because yeah, I mean, who, who, who would go back, right? Like, I mean, I, I, as I was reading this, I was even thinking, um, with, um, like, even myself, right? Like, I, I grew up in a sort of rural context, which I, more or less, definitely wouldn't ever go back to. You know, like, um, like there is, like, I think he he points to Leotard's bit about like the anonymity of the cities and such, and I was like, yeah, I, like two thumbs up. I fucking love it. <laughs> like, being like where nobody's sticking their nose into your business. Like, that's absolutely a thing I could never go back to. Yeah. And again, that's is very much uh, uh, echoing uh, Engels. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, you know, yeah. just and Marx and Engels talking about the idiocy of rural life and and uh, how, how uh, yeah, we need to like like just seeing those 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 potentials and 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 the the possibilities in the kinds of, of life worlds that, that capitalism can build. Um, and you know, it's, it's, it's very similar for me in a sense that, um, I've just gone through an absolutely hellish week. I didn't know if I'd be able to make it through the work week because it was just so many things in so much volume. Like, I feel like, you know, that that's sort of the classic work schedule of today is, you're doing six different jobs and you're in crunch in all of them mm -hmm. at the same time, yeah. right? <laughs> like, yeah. like that that feels like very much of this moment, uh, this 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 form of capitalism we are living in. Um, but you know, even as I was like desperately struggling to maintain 
uh, my capacity to function as a human being, there definitely were moments in that week where I was like enjoying my work and enjoying the variety of my work. Um, like there, there are very clearly ways in which even, even in the most miserable sort of, um, capitalist exploitation, uh, we can find pleasure in it, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, or we can at least find pleasure in the sort of results of it. And like, this is the thing that like, it sets up a sort of a problematic for, um, for accelerationism or just for, I think any kind of analysis of the contemporary situation that like, yes, Capitalism, or the, 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 these, this process we are living under, does produce alienation and atomization and all this kind of horrible shit that we, in one breath, disavow. Like we, we don't want to be atomized. We don't want to be sort of deterritorialized in this kind of way. And yet, in many other regards, we kind of love it. You know, <laughs> like that. You know, no one's going to give up their Netflix. You know, <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah, and I, and I feel like it is it is very much a love hate relationship, right? Because like most of the week, I was just like, I want to die, <laughs> um, <laughs> right? Like it was it was not a positive or happy experience, but there were uh, there were sort of uh, pleasures to be found in it, um, and I, I remember like listening to uh, journalists, uh, games journalists, talking about covering E three. Right. Which is, you know, a sort of a similarly hellish crunch experience um, and, you know, being underpaid. Absolutely. Being exploited. Absolutely. Going through alienating experiences of just like talking to a sales guy after the 16th time you've talked to a sales guy that day. Absolutely. Uh, but they still do talk about the sort of pleasures they find in the event, right? And the, the work, um, uh, and, and, and yeah, and I think you can find that throughout sort of, um, throughout, uh, the different types of, of labor that you get in capitalism. Um, it's not all, uh, all love and, and, and roses or, and it's not, ultimately very satisfying but it it is something that continues to draw us in mm. right yeah and i think like the one of the watchwords there is uh, is pleasure right like because um fisher's back to like i mean leotard's book is is titled libidinal economy um deleuze and guattari are writing about desiring machines and like there's it's kind of like the, the, the writers of that kind of year of that milieu were placing desire and sort of libido first as the anchor point for the rest of their kind of ontology to be built upon. And it's possible, I think, I think uh, Fisher's trying to gesture in this direction that like perhaps like centering desire in, in our politics is, per, is perhaps fruitful as well. Um, that, yeah, like we, we do in fact want better living conditions. We want more like streaming video and, and, you know, like, in some ways more of this anonymity and more more fluidity in our lives and um yeah that like it, it might actually be fruitful to kind of center that sort of stuff um but he then sort of like he, he, he then transitions into talking about land and how land was sort of gesturing in this direction as well and that yeah there's this really interesting bit about like how land was provocative and wrote in this very provocative sort of way and a lot of that was a reaction to the sort of mid-90s a stultifying atmosphere of like academic Marxism that he found himself embedded in, you know, which, um, which again is that sort of thing. Yeah. This, this, this all, all this stuff does emerge from a particular time and place, um, and a particular set of, uh, of conditions. Um, 
Yeah, and like I think, yeah, if you were, I could definitely see if you know, put put yourself in Nick Land's shoes, like being a sort of creative, energetic thinker uh, stuck in a rain-drenched kind of hellhole in the middle of in the middle of England, um, in a university that's on the edge of town, in a sort of really depressing, brutalist sort of um, set of architectural um, mistakes, and also being surrounded by what you perceive to be your kind of like just very stodgy sort of careerist academics um yeah i, I could see going all in on this kind of exciting uh, and, and libidinal form of philosophy yeah that makes sense the the context does uh, definitely support that and you know warwick was set up kind of as a place where um you know new thinking or out there thinking would be attracted to um, and so it makes sense that it drew people like Land and the rest of the CCRU. Mm -hmm. That's um, it's it's real sort of um, God, you know that those sort of just accidents of history where a bunch of people end up in the same place at the same time and all happen to align in that kind of way. Like this, there's a real magic to that. Um, yeah, but like then uh, Fisher kind of gets into like actually tearing down a, quite a bit of of Land's philosophy, and he kind of like starts by like kind of restating the sort of things we've been on about that like, but putting it in very concrete terms that like. Land's philosophy is this inversion of like historical materialism where capital is the prime agent of history and it's wearing humanity like a like a skin and that eventually if it if it reaches in a high enough intensity it'll just slough off the flesh like it'll just melt away like like the terminator right? and i think that, like land spent quite a bit of time watching watching 90s um uh, films, but like like the Terminator, the, the flesh would melt away, and you'd just be left looking at this gleaming metallic skull with this red eye in the center of it, just like staring at you, and like yeah, like but like Land also kind of like combines that with this notion like that like again like the Terminator that like Skynet is constructing itself by by altering the past, like it's kind of a an artificial intelligence gravitational field beyond history that's pulling humanity towards itself you know into the future um it's very sci-fi like the whole the whole way land thinks is um is in these kind of sci-fi metaphors which is which it's 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 energetic right like and it's it's easy to get fired up while you're reading it and kind of get carried away right <laughs> yeah as i mean he he was he was very deep into a lot of those touchstones like the terminator blade runner cyberpunk right neuromancer all that stuff um and and also of course the the the, the goth stuff of the time right the, the lovecraft and 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 I, I like i i think there's almost like the chance that uh the members of the ccru were not playing vampire the masquerade <laughs> is uh probably about Nil. zero yeah exactly um, <laughs> like the, the chances that they were not larping is probably about zero <laughs> uh like 90s 90s pop culture just like suffuses all of this so much yeah um, it it really does like it's just it is everywhere in it but um sort of like the the, the the big objection here is that like um fisher thinks that land gets this pretty wrong in a very fundamental way because what land is thinking of is a sort of linear vector that has this ratcheting effect and you can only ever go forward on it and it never changes direction and it never slides back but he's he's omitting the re-territorialization cycle entirely. Like he's like Land is doing this thing where he's fixating on one half of Deleuze and Guattari's equation, 
and just completely forgetting the other part. And so, like... Land predicted that, after, like around the transition of the millennium, there was just this ex explosion into this like techno futuristic AI sort of hellscape. But what actually happened instead was um, Apple computers and their shiny, happy, like humanistic face and uh, the new sincerity. And you know that like the actual dynamic is more like a loop or a vortex, more so than it is a linear accelerative vector. Um, so like Land's schema is just wrong right from the start basically <laughs> you know yeah that's uh that's a very sort of uh on point observation by by fisher there that like yeah actually uh when we look back on the 90s and all of its edginess we sort of look back with like tired disgust <laughs> but you know that um is very uh characteristic of a 30-year cycle in capitalism right like there will be Within you know uh, the next five years, people will probably look back on that stuff with a kind of um, semi-ironic uh, amusement and pleasure, and then they'll just start imitating it whole cloth because that is the sort of Ouroboros of consumer culture that we live in, right? <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, that yeah, it's uh, uh, so I mean. Yeah, he's, he's he's absolutely right that like the re-territorialization um, means that like situating yourself in a particular moment of capitalism and projecting that in, in a linear manner forward into the future is just really uh, wrong-headed, uh, and 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 those it's it's like you know it's really interesting in the case of like Apple and in the case of sort of like the rise of like twee culture and and all that kind of stuff. Um, the way in which these, uh, uh, you know, like that sort of like dark techno capitalism can be replaced by something ostensibly much more caring, but really just represents the same sort of uh, ongoing uh, trudging along of um, capital mm -hmm. accumulation. Yeah, and like the the like capital capital or the machine is never able to shed its mask, right? Like the the mask is intrinsic to the machine, right? Like it's. The, the, the land's mistake is is in even conceptualizing those two different things as like actually separate right that like the unfortunate sort of thing is that like humanity and capital are deeply entangled within each other and are like the same thing at 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 their core you know that like it's not the case that the the, the terminator is able to simply rip off its its um silicon covering and reveal itself um and yeah like I, I, there's a way of thinking this re-territorialization stuff as well that like even even when there is some drive towards innovation and to disruption or whatever you know the, the sort of Silicon Valley kind of terminology is, there's also a drive to revalorize past um, uh, investments, right? That like there's like in, in other words, that like capitalism can't allow itself to go off the rails because to do so would be to destroy all previous investment in a way that would be you know just sort of inimicable to the to the thing right like it's you can you can have you can have a certain amount of disruption but not so much that it would actually change the world which which brings us back to our stuff about like when way way back at the start of the series when we were looking at um of flying cars and the declining rate of profit right like that capitalism is actually quite conservative like i mean there's a mythology about it being disruptive and innovative and oh yeah ooh, amazing but like it's actually kind of stodgy when it's left to its own devices 
Right, and that, that's the uh, that's the the sort of main point that that Fisher is bringing up here, right? Is that you know there's a dissatisfaction with with capitalism that he brings back, which is again a thing you get in Marx, right? That oh, cap like you know Marx was the the sort of greatest exponent of the of this stuff, right? Of this kind of accelerationist uh, creative destruction thinking. Um, before that, there had been some thinkers who had sort of talked about the you know. I mean, there have been plenty of thinkers who have talked about the wonders of the free market and stuff like that. But this notion of creative destruction as a positive thing was very much a Marxist thing, right? And yet Marx was was frustrated, right? That like it 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 didn't go far enough, right? It didn't it didn't um, didn't make meaningful changes in the ways that, that it needed to. And and Fisher is just sort of bringing back that critique, right? Whereas Land was just sort of asserting the the what is it like the first or first and second chapters of the Communist Manifesto. <laughs> Fisher's <laughs> yeah. kind of mentioning the rest of the uh, the rest <laughs> of the document, uh, <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Like um, yeah, and this this gesture is in the direction of the next piece that we're going to read. Um, it's it's a manifesto, really. Um, by Nick Cernoshek and Alex Williams, I believe. Um, I'm going to double-check that, actually, because I've been known to get this wrong. Uh, yeah, Alex Williams and Nick Cernoshek. Um, uh, in May of 2013, um, it's called A Manifesto for an Accelerationist Politics. Um, and this basically picks up the baton, right? Like, the, the, the call for, well, you know, if, if you are into acceleration and development, that, like, maybe maybe capitalism is actually a straitjacket more so than it is a, um, a vector for that. Um, I found this to be quite quite interesting right like it's 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 an it's an invigorating read which uh, i suppose it has that sort of electric energy that a lot of accelerationist stuff does have but also like i mean it does i think it, it does a decent job of diagnosing a lot of the problems we face now and suggesting some directions where we could go to sort of um to alleviate those problems but also like i think it falls short in some ways um but like there are ways in which that i think are related to our previous discussions about cybernetics and about cybernetic ontology um right yes it's very similar to the flying cars and declining rate of profit article we saw from graber um right it's they're saying many of the same things um and and and, and again i i feel that in some ways, it's hardly even accelerationist, but we'll kind of get into uh, <laughs> yeah. what uh, what what is going on mm -hmm. here. Um, so, like, we're we're gonna kind of go through it more or less top to bottom, but like, we're not gonna touch on everything. Uh, it's it's a manifesto consisting of twenty four points or paragraphs. Essentially, I would if the link is in the show notes. I would recommend certainly reading it, but we'll we'll touch on the bits that we find are, are, are the most important. And one of them one of them is like in the introduction, just like the first the opening point that like at the beginning of the second decade of the twenty first century, global civilization faces a new breed of cataclysm. These coming apocalypses ridicule the norms and organizational structures of the politics which were forged in the birth of the nation-state, the rise of capitalism, and a 20th century of unprecedented wars. And they go on to kind of outline, the, yeah, this is like, you know, climate issues, resource depletion, um, the threat of just like mass starvation and migration, economic collapse, just like new possibilities for conflict, and just, you know, and also continuing ever-recursing financial crises, 
Um, as well as automation. <laughs> piled on top of that, yeah, automation. Like, this is all... Uh, it feels like every three or four episodes we end up listing off the same list of things <laughs> that are becoming an issue. Um, but yeah, these, these guys are in are, are on it. Like, this is... But also, like, simultaneous to this, like, crisis and, and decline is a, like, stagnation of politics, right? Like, the, the, the political imaginary is... As as shrunk, like the horizons have shrunk to um, a hula hoop, essentially. Like there, there just is no, is no horizon at all for for like our current political systems and our current like political parties to to actually engage with any of this stuff in a in a productive way. So a bold opening, very bold, you know. Right. Yes. Um, and then they give you a little bit of sort of a brief history of neoliberalism and sort of the inadequacies of neoliberalism, right? Um, and then finally, or sorry, not finally, but the, they continue on to talk about uh, the inadequacies of the left, right? That like uh, how the left often falls back to um, a notion of a return to Fordism or to Keynesianism, uh, Fordist Keynesianism, I guess you could call it. Um, and uh, how that is like completely inadequate. Um, uh, and then uh, beyond that, uh, sort of the failings of uh, so, uh, the South American uh, quote unquote 21st century social socialism, right? The, the, the sort of red wave or pink wave that uh, happened uh, in the, the, the turn of the century um, and, and, and how it hasn't really been able to uh, articulate a like widespread um, or fundamental uh, opposition to capitalism. Yeah, yeah, and like I think this this is another sort of recurring theme for us on the show. And like, like less, I mean, we're, we're maybe at risk of being accused of punching left all the time, but like, I mean, these are these are fair points, right? Like, um, and um, but they 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 finish up this this initial section with a um, the statement of the objective, which to to generate a new left global hegemony uh, entails a recovery of lost possible futures, and indeed the recovery of the future as such. And yeah, I, I, because like if you don't, it kind of leaves the whole fucking game to be played by the right. You know, like the the, the upsetting thing is like the the neo reaction guys and the. The fucking um, land and his is 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 crowd of of, of neo feudal assholes. They have a future, right? Like they, they 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 do in fact have an imaginary for for a future that is is actually kind of depressingly likely to come about. I mean, they're yeah <laughs> they're kind of winning the game really. And like I mean, if if we if we're not able to posit any kind of alternative, let let alone a positive alternative, well, goddamn, like it's it's basically their game, you know. Um, yeah, it's like, uh, you know, I'm sure, like, our potential future overlord, uh, Elon Musk on Twitter, um, you know, expressing his, his deep emotional angst at being targeted with this blasphemous or slanderous label of being a billionaire, um, is, uh, is, you know, really, uh, he's, he's really feeling a lot of angst right now, I'm sure. Uh, but nevertheless, his class of, uh, ultra billionaires, um, is, uh, is winning um like I, I, I it feels like it's a real clown show up there like you know like a lot of like just kind of a mess uh but 
it's like every year the wealth keeps accumulating and it's fewer and fewer and fewer hands. It's like even if even if like they are not strategic geniuses or and even if they are generally now looked on with much more scorn um, than they were say ten years ago, uh, it nevertheless remains the case that they just keep getting richer. Um, yeah, as as daft and guileless as they are, like they they, they just keep keep winning. <laughs> it's um so yeah, I mean that this the, but this here is a call to arms, right? Like that, like we've kind of left really really needs to get its get its shit together. And I mean, like so co- contemporarily, there are promising sort of um, starts, you know. Um, but I mean, it's it's kind of inarguable that we're quite a way behind. But yeah, anyway, so this is just a this is a very bold opening and a kind of a call to arms. And then the sort of middle section is about this kind of like, well, you know, that like if if any system has been associated with ideas of acceleration, it is capitalism. But that that's kind of a like a false conclusion in a way, because like we're getting back to Nick Land and his sort of, um, you know, notion that the sort of linear vector or whatever um, with its ratcheting effects. But that that for Land, this is a an undirected and this this is like kind of what we're getting to with that unconditional acceleration stuff in quotes. You know that like this is this is undirected. It's presumed that if you let this thing off the leash, it'll just like do the right thing and move forward. But what what it, what it kind of actually is, it's like a, it's like a bottle rocket that's just sort of gone off course and it's just kind of zipping around the place in a kind of undirected sort of way. Um, yeah, well, I think that this is a really actually quite uh, important uh, article. It might be worth reading some of it. It says. Uh, However, Landian neoliberalism confuses speed with acceleration. We may be moving fast, but only within a strictly defined set of capitalist parameters that themselves never waver. We experience only the increasing speed of a local horizon, a simple brain-dead onrush rather than an acceleration which is also navigational, an experimental process of discovery within a universal space of possibility. It is the latter mode of acceleration which we hold as essential. Mm-hmm. Yep. That is good. I quite like that. Um, yeah, it's the, one of their better points. Um, that is quite excellent. Um, yeah, navigational is a really good sort of term to use to nail that down right um yeah and it gets back to uh cybernetics right uh-huh. <laughs> yeah it does like steering right <laughs> kubernetes <laughs> yeah so like this this is like just dis- just definitely distancing itself like rejecting the the notion of just like blind speed and the the, the brain dead onrush and instead saying for yes speed but navigational speed and speed that is done in this cybernetic way where the the, you know the the controller and the system under control are navigating a space of possibilities and emerging and all this sort of nice stuff that we we covered in the the previous couple of episodes with the cybernetic brain which is a a recommendation definitely um if you're if you're just starting with us now on this episode right Uh, (laughs) but yeah this this is good stuff this is a good way of formulating it and it it also touches back on um on marx right like that like again that that distinction between like is it is it just an unconditional ever recurring sort of acceleration or does it have some kind of tipping point where human control and sort of direction and navigation can be can be brought to bear on on the process and the argument here is that the latter is actually vastly more powerful than the former that we can if you if you take this this throbbing engine and subject it to 
human direction and direct it to you know purposes that are actually in line with what human beings want um that that is more powerful than simply letting the throttle loose and seeing where the thing goes yes because yeah because the the thing kind of tends to drive itself in circles right Mm -hmm. yeah like if if, if anyone's (laughs) ever lost control of the lawnmower uh, you, you know what what tends to happen to them, right? Like, um, but no, they do, they do get into this sort of yeah, like yeah, this is neoliberalism, right? And it, it has this. Um, the, we start to get in the direction of some of the stuff again. We we spoke about with um, with the cybernetic brain that like neoliberalism, neoliberal capitalism presents itself as the one and only um, image of modernity, but it's actually quite a quite a dark image. And like the kind of one of the points they're trying to get to here is that. Um, we can take control of modernity or even sort of augment it to, um, or no, I think that's, that's the bit I'm reading in from the, the cybernetic stuff that like perhaps the, the, the mixture of modern and non-modern ontologies that, um, Andrew Pickering was, uh, was, was so into in that book is, is a, uh, maybe an essential component of this thing of like taking control of technical development and subjecting it to, to actual human desires. Yeah, and they um, do get into that a little bit towards the end of the manifesto, um, but uh, at, at the in this the centerpiece, um, it's more about sort of talking about the problems of, of neoliberalism, um, right? Uh, so, you know, they talk about Deleuze and Guattari, um, and. Uh, complain about problems like progress becomes constrained within a framework of surplus value a reserve army of labor and free floating capital modernity is reduced to statistical measures of economic growth and social innovation becomes encrusted with kitsch remainders from our communal past um thatcherite reaganite deregulation sits comfortably alongside victorian back to basics family and religious values um yeah, and I, I feel like uh, that's certainly uh, it's certainly a part of, of 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 capitalism, right? Like we, you know, we we get yes, we get our our moment of um, sort of a, a, a flourishing and proliferation of of, of uh, exploratory gender thinking and identities that we are experiencing now, but we also get. Um, Trumpism, mm-hmm. right? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like that's also part of capitalism. These yeah. are part, like these are the sort of antithetical aspects of the moment we live in, and the the, the dilemmas that it presents. Um, so, um, to sort of just continue on, though, because like I think that uh, a lot of this section continues along the same lines, sort of talking about like, well, like. Here are the Marxist credentials of of accelerationism and so on. Uh, You know, they they end up with, uh, as Marx was aware, capitalism cannot be identified as the agent of true acceleration. Similarly, the assessment of left politics as antithetical to techno-social acceleration is also, at least in part, a severe misrepresentation. Indeed, if the political left is to have a future, it must be one in which it maximally embraces this suppressed accelerationist tendency. Um, so I, I feel like it's kind of going against that idea of, you know, again, reviving the welfare state, reviving uh, Keynesianism and uh, Fordism and uh, that sort of Polanyi style uh, critique of capitalism, right? That we need to, we need to protect social structures 
against the onslaught of, of, of capitalist destruction, right? Like, um, that kind of leftism is very prevalent. Um, it's, it's very popular. Mm -hmm. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, it's like, you know, I feel like a lot of the support for Sanders is of that sort, mm -hmm. right? Um, so it, 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 it's it, almost it, like a kind of like, um, left reaction in a way, like, um, yeah, totally. Yeah. Um, just depressing. Yeah. yeah. Because <laughs> it's, it's very, uh, you know, just because you're a socialist does not mean you're a Marxist, no. right? Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, like exactly. this manifesto is sort of underlining that distinction. These are, these are, it's not automatically the case that, uh, all socialists are Marxists. Um, and, and, and in fact, uh, you know, there there is in the history of Marxism a lot of sort of quote unquote Marxism that is a lot closer to LaSalle uh, than it is to Marx, um, and 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 I think this is kind of criticizing that sort of socialism of like, yeah, we need like a strong state that is going to um, protect society against the onslaughts of capital. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. It's good. Um... So, like, it kind of the, the next section then after that is just the kind of getting into more positive um, stuff in, in the sense of actually positing what to do. Although in, in some ways it's sort of light on specifics of what to do. It's kind of like this is just making gestures and sort of... It's, um, it's light, but it's a lot better than what we got out of Fisher. Yeah. <laughs> like, we didn't talk about that very much in the Fisher, in the Fisher piece, but, like, he's extremely vague on what his alternative to land that looks like and it feels like this is a lot better thought through than uh what you get in that that fisher article i think there's certainly a difference in that like i think the the fisher article suffers from being a blog post as opposed to like a fully fleshed out article or, or an essay and this i think that the, the manifesto does it, it gleams for having been crafted as a manifesto right like it's um Every 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 sentence and every paragraph is kind of like seems like it's very well crafted to um to get its point across, and yeah, I mean they're they're, they're wanting to like you know where they're kind of like railing against some of this kind of like um sort of folksy localism that can be found in a lot of left politics and um and that and in, instead instead thrusting at preserving the gains of late capitalism and going further going beyond its value system and its governance structures. And to like, it's very, it's very much bursting out of the, um, of the constraints of capitalism. Um, as this, this is like our, this gesturing into the kind of direction of our like fully automated luxury space communism sort of stuff like that. Um, yeah, the, the way I was just throughout and beyond is, is, is what we're kind of get trying to get to here. Um, oh, 100% that is what is on the agenda here. Yeah. And like the, you get these, these paragraphs, like sort of piling on the vitriol, like, uh, we we do not want to return to Fordism. There can be no return to Fordism. The capitalist golden era was premised on the production paradigm of the orderly factory environment, where male workers receive security and a basic standard of living in return for a lifetime of stultifying boredom and social repression. Such a system relied upon an international hierarchy of colonies, empires, and an underdeveloped periphery, a national hierarchy of racism and sexism, and a rigid family hierarchy of female subjugation. For all the nostalgia many may feel, this regime is both undesirable and practically impossible to return to. Yeah. It's um, <laughs> a very strong statement. Very strong. Um, this, yeah, this is damning for any, like, almost any kind of, like, neo-Fordist or 
whatever sort of thing. Like, and a, a lot of the fucking left are going to have to grapple with this and this 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 critique, right? Because like we sort of discussed in the in the the, the the green room, but like that desire to return to the you know the 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 fifties or whatever, essentially, um, you know, to return to Fordism is is incompatible with a like actually liberated society um particularly from the sort of gender and racial sort of angles you know like those are irreconcilable um that the 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 fluidity of gender and the breaking down of old um prejudices and old structures of oppression is kind of predicated on this liquefying force that is within capitalist development in a way right that like the deterritorialization that like the the atomization and the smashing down of structures has some really positive effects when it when it smashes down uh you know patriarchy <laughs> you know like it's but that, that's the thing that a lot of people will really struggle to grapple with right that like um yeah and i feel like this is just sort of a hypothesis i'm not really sh- so sure about it but you know, one thing that's sort of characteristic of uh, living here in, in Japan and, and looking out uh, at the rest of the world um, is that uh, there, even though Japan is, a, is, is very much a country that is sort of ruled by conservatives, uh, and, and, and the welfare state is really, it's better than in the United States, but it, it's certainly not among the best in the world. Uh, and it has a lot of gaps where it relies on the family to provide for individuals instead of relying on uh, the state. And even in that, even with those limitations, I feel like, you know, Japan is a country that is, is very much on board with this idea of protecting society, right? Protecting the social structures, right? The Polanyi-style critique of capitalism, uh, I feel like, has a lot of purchase here. And even as there has been uh, neoliberal economic reforms um, that have certainly destabilized a lot of people and shaken up the family and all that kind of thing, like there, I don't, I don't want to underplay that at all. I feel like. There is a certain degree of um, protection of established social structures in a way that has made it so that, for example, like, although gender politics has become a sort of talking point and people are, like, people bring it up, it isn't something that is discussed with the sort of feverish intensity that you find in the West. Like, people are like, oh, yeah, like, you know, they'll have a conversation about it. But, like, it is not, like, I mean, I'm sure this is just because of the Twitter echo chamber I'm in to some extent. But, like, the amount of passion and intensity with which people are talking about these things um, is, 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 is really incredible right now. And I feel like it's it must be partially a result of the very different social arrangements um, that you find elsewhere. Because it's not just the case that Japan is insular. Like, yes, of course, Japan is insular. But some things find their way in, right? Yeah. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like, uh, <laughs> yeah. So, so um, I mean, I, I, I don't know. That's kind of my thinking on just an example of, of how different capitalist configurations 
can produce different sorts of discourses and identities in the way that Deleuze and Guattari were, were trying to outline. Yeah. Right? Yeah, definitely. Um, it's, um, it's, 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 it, it reminds me of, um, a sort of a book or a manifesto or whatever that like, I think we should maybe try and read at some point on the show, but we sh- we should also try and get somebody on who's maybe a bit more of a sort of a, uh, expert in the subject matter, but the, it's called, uh, Xenofeminism, um, a manifesto for a politics of alienation, I think. And it takes this really interesting angle of like, it's, it's essentially like, um, a, a kind of a hyper accelerationist, like trans feminist sort of, um, sort of work. And, it kind of actually goes all in on alienation as a sort of a good thing in a way that like that like the the thing that enables um people to come out as trans today is effectively alienation in a way that like kind of like the the smashing down and liquefying of previous orders and previous sort of societal investments is a prerequisite for this kind of um societal fluidity um that we're we're starting to enjoy um right and I'm I'm writing an uh, an article on uh, Nancy Fraser at the moment, and she has a really good way of uh, thinking about this. So maybe that's something we'll look at as well. But yeah, this is a really interesting topic and something I'd like to investigate some more. Um, but uh, yes, uh, so against Fordism for all of those reasons. Um, but uh, carrying on with the manifesto, um, they do sort of get into some positive points, right? Um, so much like um, Graeber, uh, they, they have a statement, uh, given the enslavement of techno-science to capitalist objectives, especially since the late 1970s, we surely do not yet know what a modern t- techno-social body can do. Who amongst us fully recognizes what untapped potentials await in the technology which has already been developed? Our wager is that the true transformative potentials of much of our technological and scientific research remain unexploited, filled with presently redundant features or pre-adaptations, that following a shift beyond the short-sighted capitalist uh, socius can become decisive. Um, so again, it's very much that flying cars thing we talked about. Um, yeah, it's, I think it's a, it's a mistake that like a lot of people make the kind of like th- the thing that like oh any any future society or revolution or whatever can't include any of the components that are familiar to us today because they're intrinsically sort of uh, you know trapped within socialism or within capitalism. But no, like we we don't yet know what like purposes these things could be turned towards. Like it's it's. We're, we're seeing a facet of technology and a, a way it can be used, um, but it's not determined. It's not, it's not fully determined um, by those circumstances. Like, or, well, that like we're talking about like creating a whole different set of circumstances. Um, yeah. That can reveal things in a, in a new light. Yeah. So they're against the notion of technological determinism in the kind of um, in both the utopian sense and also in the pessimistic sort of sense of like, well, you know the the the, the thing that the primitivists do, where it's like, well, you know, if we have any technology around, we're doomed to repeat capitalism. You know that sort of thing. They're against that completely. Yeah, um, and they go on to say. Uh Whereas the techno-utopians argue for acceleration on the basis that it will automatically overcome social conflict, our position is that technology should be accelerated precisely because it is needed in order to win social conflicts. 
Um, so thinking strategically about technological development as a anti-capitalist strategy, um, and uh, you know that I think is 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 quite a, a evocative uh, turn of phrase there, and um, yeah, uh, could be could be worth thinking about, um, especially as an antidote to um, Silicon Valley thinking, which seems to be what they're criticizing there. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, like the, the techno-utopian bit, yeah, definitely. They're kind of like... Because what they're, get, what they're getting at there, I think, is that, like, yeah, that, like, the Valley crowd believe that accelerated technology will simply neuter social conflict and that that's how it'll be overcome. Whereas, like, for us, we can, we can, we can accelerate technological development to, to actually win the conflict, not to neuter it, you know? Um, right. Yeah. Good stuff. Yes. All, all in. Two, two thumbs up. Um, and uh, they go on to talk about planning, mm -hmm. um, the use of modeling and and cybernetic planning and AI and stuff like that to, yes. to help plan things out, which um, is very reminiscent of what we were seeing in Red Plenty and like Project Cybersyn. Um, yes, they they split explicitly point to uh, the Soviet uh, experiments that we saw in Red Plenty and uh, and, and Project Cybersyn as a uh, as sort of um, what what do they call them emblems emblematic um, uh, yes so I mean again probably why we covered them on the show because they they seem to be examples or of technical artifacts that that speak to people um, speak to our imaginations. Um, and, uh, and yeah, using the sort of modeling tools that have been developed under capitalism as part of that, that planning, right. That we don't, we don't, obviously we don't want to, uh, just sort of deploy a bunch of teletype machines across the country and, uh, <laughs> <laughs> planning on the basis of that, uh, it was yeah. clever at the time, but certainly not necessary today. Yeah, um, and the left must develop socio-technical hegemony, uh, both in the sphere of ideas and in the sphere of material platforms. Platforms are the infrastructure of global society. They establish the basic parameters of what is possible, both behaviorally and ideologically. In this sense, they embody the material transcendental of society. They are what make, makes possible particular sets of actions, relationships, and powers. While much of the current global platform is biased towards capitalist social relations, this is not an inevitable necessity. Uh, these material platforms of production, finance, logistics, and consumption can and will be pre-programmed and reformatted towards post-capitalist ends. So just sort of talking about platform capitalism, right? And what what does platform socialism look mm -hmm. like? Um, Nationalize Amazon. <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, or, you know. At least socialize it somehow. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, it's it's been a while since we touched on that, right? Like that, like um, I think that was way back, even in the for future sort of episode where we were sort of talking about like, well, yeah, socialize Amazon, or like, what do, what does Uber look like if it's actually controlled by the municipality and the the city itself, you know? And um, yeah, like these, it's, it's the same technology to more or less the same ends, but with radically different sort of outcomes in, uh, in terms of how the technology interfaces with its society. Um, and it's doable. It's, it's, not that, like, it's, not that the, it's not that the technology is tainted by the original sin of having been developed by under, under the sort of conditions of capitalism, right? Like, that's, that's crazy. That's like a miasma theory of, of, of socio-technical development, that, like, if, if, a, if a given invention is invented by a capitalist or whatever, or is 
invented in a, fir- a capitalist firm, then it's tainted forever and we can never use it to revolutionary ends. That's fucking ridiculous, right? Like, it's a... Uh, right, of course. Yeah. yeah, I mean, you just end up you just end up with primitivism in that case, right? That is bizarrely yeah. common, though, like, as, a, as an argument amongst, amongst leftists. Yeah. So, I don't know, like... And the next thing is basically just, like, a big, you know... Uh, call out against anarchists and autonomists. Um, (laughs) uh, We do not believe that direct action is sufficient to achieve any of this. The habitual tactics of marching, holding signs, and establishing temporary autonomous zones risk becoming comforting substitutes for effective success. At least we have done something is the rallying cry of those who privilege self-esteem rather than effective action. The only criterion of a good tactic is whether it enables significant success or not we must be done with fetishizing particular modes of action politics must be treated as a set of dynamic systems riven with conflict adaptations and counter adaptations and strategic arms races this means that each individual type of political action becomes blunted and ineffective over time as the other sides adapt no given mode of political action is historically inviolable uh and and, and in that uh you know in that case there are probably calling off or calling out trots uh for their newspapers uh i would i would guess <laughs> that's, <laughs> yep. my, that's my guess right there um indeed over time there is an increasing need to discard familiar tactics as the forces and entities they are marshaled against learn to defend and counterattack them effectively it is in part the contemporary left's inability to do so which lies close to the heart of the contemporary malaise so you know like whatever sort of standard um uh circular firing squad uh stuff going on there <laughs> <Yeah>. um, uh, <laughs> but <laughs> they, they go deeper though right like there's there's more to it where yeah. like they're they're also calling out they do um, they do like I, I like this like uh, section 14 where they're calling out that like democracy cannot be defined simply by its means not via voting discussion or general assemblies Real democracy must be defined by its goal, collective self-mastery. That's they're really laying the cards on the table there, right? That like, yeah, all the all the fucking kayfabe and the fucking larping with the newspapers and stuff, it isn't actually getting at the the core of what we genuinely want, which is the you know, the goal of collective self-mastery. Like I think it's really powerful to restate that as being you know the, the the actual thing we we desire, rather than the sort of going through the motions of um, a lot of the uh, the trappings of um, horizontalists and and and, and um, you know sort of collective uh, uh, structures. Yeah, and this is you know uh, I feel like they're really like uh, sort of reiterating some of the points that Jody Dean makes. Right, um, they they wrap up this talk about. Um, you know, vertical versus horizontal organization by saying the command of the plan must be married to the improvised order of the network. So we, we want some kind of organizational form that is neither completely horizontal nor completely vertical. Um, yeah, that somehow manages to reconcile these, uh, these organizational problems. Um, 
Uh, and it says, we do not present any particular organization as the ideal means to embody these vectors. What is needed, what has always been needed, is an ecology of organizations, a pluralism of forces resonating and feeding back on their comparative strengths. Sectarianism is the death knell of the left as much as centralization is. And in this regard, we continue to welcome experimentation with different tactics, even those we disagree with. So it's, yeah. it's the compliment sandwich, right? Uh, mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> we're going to call y'all out <laughs> yep. and then we're gonna we're gonna throw you a bone okay um, <laughs> all right um no, this, this is good stuff um and then so th they, they have some concrete goals uh beyond that um, um in in short it's kind of like well the developing new ideas and institutions and secondly like create essentially new open media kind of acknowledging yeah that like control of media and like the media channels and how how information propagates is is an, a component of class power and um and thirdly new class power like kind of actually reconstitute a an actual proletarian class that it seems to have dissolved entirely in the in the last couple of decades yeah and i feel like out of all of these I feel like the, the one that we're doing the best at today is probably the one about reconstituting class power uh, and reconstructing a proletarian identity. Um, I feel like the working class is like cl class consciousness, working class consciousness, proletarian consciousness is far more developed today and developing today than in any time I've seen in my life. Yeah, um, yeah. That, yeah. that I'll agree with uh, definitely. The the thing about mimicking the Mont Pelerin society and coming up with good ideology, um, I feel like we're maybe so-so. I mean, that's what this, this podcast is trying to do, yeah, but yeah. I, I, I don't think we're quite there yet. And in terms of media reform, we're just totally fucked. Yes, <laughs> that's yeah, kind I mean, of my feeling on that. <laughs> like <laughs> we we have our we have our enclaves within the platform capitalist sort of media spheres, but like not. I mean, when you, we did the, the strongest left media in the world is what Jacobin, you know, and that's it's not a sting on them, right? Like it's it's the strongest, legitimately the strongest in the world. You know? <laughs> Or, um, yeah, I mean, like, I, you know, there's people fighting the good fight and like the amount of people on Twitter calling out Twitter is like uh, there, there are oceans and, and multitudes. Uh, there are legions and legions of Twitter users who hate Twitter. Uh, there are, there are endless numbers of Facebook users who hate Facebook. Uh, the the affect is not the problem <laughs> right like people like i mean yes there are there are centrists out there and there are right wingers who would just be like well no of course like blah, 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 my censorship blah 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 but um you know it, it it doesn't feel like we're getting anywhere in actually controlling those platforms um, it, it, it feels like we're stuck just in our little bubbles of rage, making money for these companies by expressing our rage. Um, it, 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 yeah, I feel like we are in, in a, a cul-de-sac in terms of our control of the media and podcasts like this are just like a small drop in the bucket. Mm. Um, yeah, I think I'm kind of, I, I hold out some hopes for, um, these sort of new distributed or decentralized sort of protocols that are emerging um to help with that sort of stuff but yeah i don't know it's we're not on particularly strong footing with that either so mm -hmm. i don't know yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. It's it's, <laughs> it's rough when capital owns all the platforms. But the, the but guys here do mention resources and money, right? Like that that's that has to be a way we turn our attention as well, right? Like um, yes, and 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 I, I think like you know getting back to this this sort of talk we've had about um, you know the open source thing it's it's pretty important at this level that um, workers in those those industries and companies be organized um, and I think that that will be more effective at exerting pressure than uh, you know like generally speaking on Twitter or on other social media I don't spend a lot of time calling out the platform holder because I don't know like it, it just doesn't feel effective. It just doesn't feel effective to me. Like, it's like uh, I see people it, meant, like at at tweeting like at Jack, like the fucking Jack Dorsey or whoever the the founder guy is. Like, who do you you realize you're not speaking to anyone when you when you do that, right? Like, who if, if and if even even worse if you just tweet a thing of like, oh, Twitter have gone and done it again. It's like nobody's listening. Like, nobody gives a shit. Like, it's it's literally screaming into the void, right? Like, it's... Um, it does feel like... It, it feels like, at best, an echo chamber and, at worst, screaming into the void. And, like, I don't know. I mean, I don't have the, the silver bullet media strategy, but personally, it, that kind of political action just doesn't really... You know, there there was a point uh, when I was younger uh, when I, I did do a lot of posting on Facebook of political stuff, um, but I feel like that's become the norm, <laughs> right? Yeah. Right? Like that 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 like the the publicity and 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 politics on these platforms has become very normal. Like it's become a normal thing for them to be political battlegrounds, um, and. Adding one more voice to that, um, it, it just does, doesn't feel very effective. It feels like we need to um, sort of uh, break out of that war of position and, and find a way to fight a war of maneuver, you know? Yeah, usually when people talk about the war of position, you know, they're pointing to Gramsci and, uh, and saying, like, oh, well, we need to make these kind of, like, point-by-point slow incremental victories within these established battle lines across institutions and society and, and across civil society. But like, it feels like we've become so fixated on the war of position and, that we forget that like nobody in the first world war, which was like Gramsci's sort of reference point for this, wanted to fight the war of position. They wanted to fight the war of maneuver. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. It was structurally impossible for them to do so. And there were so many constraints that, that created the meat grinder of the First World War. But that's not the war you want to fight, right? <laughs> you, want to, you want to have a, a, a strategic breakthrough. So if, if, if at all, we can direct energy towards that kind of, uh, of, of strategizing and, and political action, then I think it's a good thing. I don't, I don't think constraining ourselves to the war of position because it is a fact and a reality is, is effective. And I think that that's a lot of what this manifesto is trying to say, right? That when it's talking about imagination and future and so on and criticizing tactics, it, it feels like they're they're trying to gesture in that direction of like look like this this sort of positional fight over like who does or does not get run off Twitter like it, it matters in the moment but it, we can't invest ourselves completely in that approach to politics. 
Yeah, because it would be a dead end ultimately. Um, it'd be, it'd be. Yeah, because again, nobody wants to fight the First World War again. It's just that was horrible. Like only <laughs> Ernst Jünger came out of that and was like, "Yeah, yeah, cool awesome. Stuff. Let's do more of that." <laughs> <laughs> Imagine being that kind. Of, Imagine being that broken. <laughs> Jesus, wow. Yeah, what a it's, guy. it's something else. Yeah. Um, we've got like, we've got basically like one or two. We've got two sort of main big sort of good points uh, before the you know the what six pages of this, this thing runs out um but yeah we've got this like um point 21 is quite nice where it's like uh we declare that only a promethean politics of maximal mastery over society and its environment is capable of either dealing with global problems or achieving victory over capital but this this is a thing where they, they start to get into um i think they get maybe a bit tripped over their words because they're using the term mastery here but I don't think they actually mean mastery in the kind of classically modern sense. I think that if if these two authors had read The Cybernetic Brain before writing this manifesto, they might have worded this quite a bit differently because I sort of read this as the spirit of it is definitely in the direction of the non-modern or the sort of augmented modern ontology uh, of steerage, you know? Yeah, and... and Yes, and the, 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 the end of this paragraph definitely points in that direction, right? Where instead we propose that the problems besetting our planet and our species oblige us to refurbish mastery in a newly complex guise. Whilst we cannot predict the precise results of our actions, we can determine probabilistically likely ranges of outcomes. What must be coupled to such complex systems analysis is a new form of action, improvisatory and capable of executing a design through a practice which works with the contingencies it discovers only in the course of its acting, in a politics of geosocial artistry and cunning rationality, a form of abductive experimentation that seeks the best means to act in a complex complex world which doesn't sound like promethean mastery right? no no it, it sounds <laughs> like cybernetic adaptation <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> like this thing and like um but even even right at the end we have this like they, they make reference to an, an alternative modernity that neoliberalism is inherently unable to generate which is like so much uh pickering right like this is like I th so I, th I think like um like this, I think a very fruitful avenue of investigation might be to combine this with the cybernetic brain or just like with, with cybernetics, like that, that analysis and see where it goes. Like what, what happens if you weld these two things together? Um, right. Yeah. And I, yeah. And I think that's kind of what we've been, we've been gesturing towards with this, with this podcast, um, as a, as a sort of general approach. Um, yeah. Um, I thought, I thought, I thought this was a, this was a great read and these, these three, uh, pieces in general uh were a great read and like all kind of came together very well um like there's a nice there's a nice through line here from the origins of of accelerationism through to uh various critiques and this sort of like very promising um sort of variant of left accelerationism which which has which has some issues right like i think there is or well maybe it's less that it has issues but more that there are ways in which this could be augmented that would be quite a bit better um, yeah, and I, I feel like that sort of discussion we just had about this idea of mastery and so on is it 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 does kind of point to this question of whether this politics is even accelerationist, right? right? Yeah, like yeah. <laughs> because like if you're getting into that that question of like you know um, 
the unknown and improvis uh, improvisatory adaptation and viability and navigation. It feels like none of that is really really about acceleration in the same kind of like doubling down sense that uh land and his contemporaries were really on board with um and, and and i guess the authors have even sort of moved away from the term accelerationism they have uh, yeah they've they've written i think together and separately um, and I, i'm led to believe that a lot of it is basically sort of like of, of the same tone as this and like um, but they don't use the term acceleration uh, anymore. But I think I think it's accelerationist in the sense that it's of of the Marxian sense of acceleration, right? But not in the Landian right. sense. And it's maybe not so surprising that they dropped the term then, you know. <laughs> and it's quite interesting because you know we get this whole sort of story that we've told here, and the story begins. Uh, with Marxism and cybernetics, and in a sense, it also ends with Marxism and cybernetics. Yeah, pretty <laughs> much right. <laughs> There's an interesting detour that we went through here. Yeah. Um, um, yeah. But, yeah. Um, is there anything else we need to touch on before we wrap up? I don't think so. No, cool. I think we. I think that was... Um, yeah, really, really great reads. Um, I would strongly recommend to the listener to to like go through the show notes and actually read these, because they're, they're short. There's three of them, but they're, they're short. Um and they're exhilarating, you know, they're accelerative, <laughs> um, which is quite <laughs> <Yes>. nice. Um, <laughs> uh, methamphetamines are optional. Yeah. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <Ooh. laughs> I think you might be at risk of going, uh, you know, go, yeah, you going as go mad as landed. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That poor guy. Uh, like jungle I, music, also optional. Yeah. Oh yeah. I need to. I need to find the most. I mean, I'm sure. I'm sure the listener will have heard it by now. But the most obnoxious contemporary jungle music for the uh, the intro. Um, yes. <laughs> but uh, yeah. Um, yeah. Thanks for listening, though, listeners. Um, been uh, it's been good having you along, and it's been good having you along for the the whole journey as well. Like I think it's it's really it's really gratifying that we get to do this show and to like explore all these different threads and tie them all back together into each other right like it's it's becoming a pattern that like basically every every piece that we look at um touches on more or less every other piece that we've looked at like accidentally like we we, we find that the authors are thinking some of the same things we're thinking and no it's 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 been fun definitely uh pulling this stuff together yeah, I was I was saying to a friend uh, that it feels like we've constructed something of a survey course here, and it, it sort of retroactively has provided its own kind of syllabus and justification. So that's kind of kind of nice and gratifying to see. It's a good way of thinking about it. Yeah, and um, yeah, I suppose if if you appreciate this um, the series, maybe think about going to Patreon.com/slash/GeneralIntellectUnit and uh, throwing us a few bucks a month just helps to you know. Uh, I don't know, pay for electricity and hosting and all this other sort of stuff and um, keep us alive. Um, otherwise, you can find us on Twitter at GIUnitPod. Uh, we're on Facebook. Just search for us, General Intellect Unit. And we're on all the podcasting apps. So if you haven't done so already, subscribe, etc. Or probably the most useful thing, actually, is because we want to grow the show's audience, um, just share us around, you know, if um, you know anyone that would uh, appreciate this stuff. Yes, yeah, so I've... I've been hearing, you know, I'm, I'm not super connected into our, our broader um, audience and who's listening and what the word of mouth is, but I hear from people that 
the word of mouth is going around okay. and uh, that that is appreciated so yeah keep it up please mm, yeah um, that would be that would be excellent um, but yeah I guess we'll we'll see you again in a couple of weeks uh, yeah thanks for listening and goodbye bye